man. You may be seated. We have a long passage before us this morning, which doesn't necessarily mean a really long sermon, but it is a long passage, Isaiah 34 and 35. This really is one passage, it's broken into two chapters with two different headings, but it's all describing the same day, the day of the Lord, across two chapters. And so we'll listen, as we listen to God's word, first there is the coming day of judgment, which is stark and clear and sobering. And then starting in verse 13 of chapter 34 and transitioning into chapter 35, we move from the theme of judgment to the redemption, the redemption of creation and the final redemption of all of God's people. So we are redeemed, we have been redeemed, and been ransomed by the blood of Christ, but one day we will be fully redeemed and restored and glorified along with all of creation. Let's hear now the word of God. Isaiah 34 and 35. Draw near, O nations, to hear. And give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over to slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the, the skies roll up like a scroll. All their host shall fall, as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance." a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom, and all its princes shall be nothing. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals, an abode for ostriches, and wild animals shall meet with hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to his fellow, indeed, there the night bird settles and finds for herself 
a resting place. There the owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, there the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever and ever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals. Where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious day of redemption and judgment, the extermination of all evil and the fulfillment of all of your promises to your people and to your creation. Help us to see this more clearly, to believe it, to understand it, to live it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have a confession to make. I really was not looking forward to preaching Isaiah 34. As I read it, I thought, oh, man, that is so heavy. The Lord is enraged against the nations. He's, he's furious against all their hosts. He's devoted them to destruction. There's the slain and the stench of the corpses and the mountains flowing with blood. And I thought, this is hard. I know sometimes we, we think, maybe, why does the Bible have to have so many passages about judgment 
and the wrath of God. Why can't we just have the, the sort of positive and encouraging messages more? Well, there's a very good reason why God has to repeatedly warn us against these things. And there's a reason why we don't like to hear them and they make us uncomfortable and we think that maybe there should be less of them in the Bible. And the reason both for why God needs to tell us and the reason for why we don't like to hear it is, frankly, that we are delusional. We are. We're delusional. We're deluded into thinking that the world is basically a pretty good place and that people are basically pretty good. You know, people, people are basically decent and the world's basically a decent place. And God loves us too much to allow us to live with our delusions, and he tells us the truth. He tells us the world is not a good place, and people are not basically good. I was doing some research. I did it for you so you didn't have to do it because it's depressing, but I'll share some of the highlights with you, or lowlights rather. Right now in the world, there are some 50 million people who are being held in various forms of slavery. More slaves than have probably ever been in the history of the world, even back when slavery was legal all over the world. 12 million of those 50 million slaves are children. And children are sold into slavery on average for $90. Right now, there are 110 known armed conflicts going on in the world. Last year, about 240,000 people were killed in those armed conflicts. Outside of those armed conflicts, about 440,000 people around the world were murdered. And that doesn't count the 73 million abortions that took place worldwide last year. Worldwide, 61% of unintended pregnancies end with the killing of the unborn child. Our, wars, our world is plagued by wars, slavery, murder, rape, racism, nationalism, oppression, and more. Do you remember when the internet was going to solve all the world's problems? How many of you are old enough to remember? The internet was the answer, right? If we can just get everybody in the world connected to each other and talking to each other, we'll have world peace. It turns out the algorithms that run the internet, that run social media traffic, have, have figured out human beings better than we have because they know what works. And what works in terms of keeping people online, keeping them reading, keeping them engaged, is anger. Specifically, self-righteous outrage at the other. And so social media has become a collection of what is sometimes termed, termed outrage echo chambers. Me and my group get together and tell each other how outraged we are at that group over there and how they're ruining the world. I don't know if you're aware, but that's evil. 
It's evil to just huddle with people who think just like you and tell each other how the world is being ruined by those people over there and the way they think. Our society is being torn apart, not by some massive government program or political effort, but by the patterns of behavior of ordinary people. And God is not happy about any of this because God made a good world <laughs> and he made people in his image and he put us in the world and he gave us charge over the world and he told us, take care of the world and love one another. Love me and take care of the world and love one another and we ain't doing it. And so God is upset about that. And God is going to do something about that. Because he loves his creation, because he loves his people, because he hates sin and evil, one day he is going to decisively act, and he will make things right. And that will be both the most horrific day and the most wonderful day in the history of the world. Horrific for those who are in rebellion against God and wonderful for those who are longing to be freed from our own sinful hearts and from a world plagued by sin. So chapter 34 describes largely the horrific aspect of that day and then chapter 35 describes the wonderful, blessed aspect of that day. With chapter 35, if you've noticed, we come to the end of the prophetic section of this first major part of Isaiah. Next week and the week after, we're actually going to be dealing with this Assyrian invasion, Sennacherib invading and surrounding Jerusalem. That whole story is starting next week. So this is sort of the capstone for this whole first section of Isaiah's prophecy. And what's coming in the narrative sections in the next couple chapters is really a preview it's a preview of the great day of the Lord because you have this evil army. I'm not going to get too much detail because we're going to be dealing with it in the next couple of weeks, but this evil army of hundreds of thousands of people. And we have to understand the Assyrian army, by the time they end up near Jerusalem, they have gone through town after town, village after village, city after city, civilization after civilization. They have devastated, they have killed, they have plundered, they have taken many slaves, they have made many widows and orphans. And so when God strikes down that army and slays 185,000 of them in a night, they deserve it. Because they've done a whole lot of evil for a long time. And that's a preview of what's coming on the great day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is coming. And God is going to bring a final end to all evil, and he's going to devastate the nations that have devastated God's world and God's people. Now, I just want to clarify something, just as a little side note. Some people teach on the day of the Lord in such a way that breaks up the day into a series of days and events that are spread out over many, many years. So they begin with a secret rapture of the church, and then a period of great tribulation, and then a partial resurrection and judgment day, and then a millennial reign, and then another great rebellion, and then another great judgment day before finally, at least a thousand years from now, the Lord finally sorts out all evil and ushers in the perfect new heavens and the new earth. And I don't think that's the way the Bible teaches it at all. I think the Bible teaches it as one event. Jesus comes again, we're caught up to meet him in the clouds as he comes. Everybody's raised, everybody's judged, and we're brought into the new heavens and the new earth. And I think if you read passages like Isaiah 34 and 35, that's the way it reads. 
It's, it's a day. It's a coming day. It's a coming day, not seven different events separated over by over a thousand years. But that's just a little aside. In the end, the point, the point is this. It shows the goodness of God. It shows the goodness of God. It shows the love of God. That God is firmly committed to ridding his world of all evil and all traces of the effects of evil and bringing his creation and his people into abundant life and a state of eternal joy forever, perfect joy, with no sorrow or sighing. And that's what today's passage teaches us. It's interesting to me that the transition between chapters 34 and 35 comes with a focus on creation. And that's why our reading for our Confession of Faith came from Romans 8, which talks about how all creation is held in bondage and is waiting to be liberated, because that's the transition. We make the transition from judgment is coming to redemption and hope is coming with animals, <laughs> birds, creation. And we don't, we don't normally think that way, but, you know, if you read Genesis 1, and if you read it out loud which I think is really good. One thing that ought to strike you is that God loves life. And God loves a world teeming with a diversity of life. It, it just, it speaks on every line. Like God makes light, he makes land, he makes seas, he makes skies so that he could fill it all with life. Teeming, abundant diverse life. And people in our sin do tend to mess that up. J.R.R. Tolkien, okay, Tolkien reference, surprise. <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis both fought in World War I. And their experiences in World War I profoundly shaped their lives and their writing. And it's a fascinating study to look into how that happened. But for Tolkien, no man's land in World War I, the land between the trenches that he could look out and see and that he had to stare at all day, every day, day after day, that is where Mordor comes from in Lord of the Rings. And one thing that happened is these were green, abundantly vibrant, growing areas in the north of France. Forests and farms teeming with life. And what happens is this gigantic scar gets spread all across the north of France from the German border to the sea. And it's desolate. It's mud and dirt, and barbed wire, and unexploded ordnance, and dead bodies, and it's, it's just, it's, it is the curse of man's sin on creation. And so that became Mordor, what human evil does to God's good creation. And, and I just love that here, that's what we see first. Like, um, and it starts with the, the, the strongholds and the fortresses in verse 13 of chapter 34. The, the thorns and the thistles and the needles and the nettles grow into and over the strongholds and the fortresses. And that is a curse 
but it's also the beginning of this sort of restoration of creation, re creation reclaiming. And by the time we get to the end of 34 and into 35, it's clear that what God is doing for the wild animals and for the owls uh, is caring for them, right? Verse 16 of chapter 34, Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. Now that verse, kids, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to read this verse again because I kind of think you weren't listening. Isaiah 34, verse 16. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. All the animals, not one missing. Each one has a mate gathered together by the Lord. What does that remind you of? Any story from the Old Testament that you could read in the book of the Lord? Noah's Ark, Robin, gold star for you. That's what it's referring to. So that's a picture when God judged the whole world, right? In the days of Noah, what, what had happened? Man had filled the world with violence. And God said, I've had enough of this. You filled the world with violence. I'm wiping you out. I'm going to start over again. But first, get all the animals onto the ark and keep them safe because I care about them and I'm going to take care of them because it ain't their fault. And so... That's what we have again here. Sometimes we think, Romans 8 helps us, we think in very um, abstract spiritual terms that are not actually biblical. They're much more influenced by bad philosophy. But we think, oh, heaven, right? Heaven, we're going to sit around on white puffy clouds wearing white robes and strumming harps and singing hymns all day. And sometimes you kids are like, oh, that sounds kind of boring. Never-ending church service. If the pastor's given forever to preach, <laughs> what are we in for? <laughs> right? But that's not what the Bible tells us. The new heavens and the new earth is a redeemed and restored creation where there are hawks and owls and, and animals that are abundant and thriving, but are no longer a danger to us. It's a good world because God loves his good world, and God wants to redeem and restore his good world. And then he turns to his people in 35.3. And he talks to people who are struggling, who are weak. And he says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. You know, that was true the first time he came to save us. And it's going to be true the second time he comes to save us. The first time he came to save us, Jesus took the vengeance of God on himself on the cross. And we were saved by the greatest act of love, but also by the greatest act of wrath that the world has ever seen, the cross. 
the love of God poured out through the wrath of God being poured out on Christ. But he will come again with vengeance. This time the wrath of God poured out on the enemies of God and God's people and the love of God redeeming and restoring God's people. Then, uh, verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. You guys ever go to the beach on a really, really hot day and you walk across the sand without any shoes on? Hopefully you're smart enough not to do that, but I've done it a few times. And you're like running as fast as you can, right? And when I'm doing that, I'm running straight for the water, right? Then it feels so good to get your feet in the water at that point. It's like, oh, yes. So the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. That means vegetation grows abundantly and multiplies. So this is good news for those of us who are struggling because God, God is doing this now for us spiritually. But he will do it for us one day completely, perfectly. So, so even now, even right now, right, if we're weak and we're struggling, God comes and by the refreshing power of his Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through the worship of God, he renews, he encourages, he restores us, he refreshes us. He also takes people who are spiritually blind and spiritually deaf and spiritually unable to walk, as Mike so uh, eloquently said when he was leading worship, and he brings us, he, he opens our eyes, he opens our ears, he, he makes us leap like a deer spiritually, but we know that physically we also suffer these things, right? Hearing loss and vision loss and body weakening and those things will also be removed and will also be taken away. And when that day comes, we are to encourage each other. So if you are weak now, if you are struggling, and whatever you're weak and struggling with, you are to be encouraged. God wants you to have strength and confidence and joy to know with full assurance that Jesus has come to save you. The Spirit does come now to refresh and encourage you, and Jesus will come again to save you forever and perfectly. And he wants you to be encouraged by that. In fact, Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 4, points to the day of the Lord as a source of encouraging one another. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. If you are discouraged, be encouraged with these words. Christ has redeemed you from your sin and from the curse that your sin deserves. The Spirit is in you now to refresh you and renew you day by day. And Jesus is coming again to bring you a glorified body that will never grow old or age or sick or be tired. And he's going to remove all evil and all sorrow and all sighing forever and ever. That is encouragement. If you're here... You can't receive that encouragement because you don't really know 
if your sins are forgiven, you don't really know if Jesus came for you, then I want you to hear the good news. I want you to hear the gospel. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would allow you to hear this, not just with the vibrating of your eardrums and sending of signals to your brain, but in your soul hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The day of judgment described in Isaiah 34 is a day that is surely coming. It is fixed. It will happen. We don't know when, but it is certain. But God has sent his son to save you from it forever, to bring you out of perishing and into eternal life forever. And all you need to do is believe in him. Say, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. I'm not trusting myself to be able to stand up on the day of judgment. I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. And if you believe in the name of the only Son of God, if you trust in Jesus to be your Savior, you will be saved. And you can have this hope that no matter how bad the world gets, no matter how bad your life gets, it's all only temporary. Eternal joy is coming. And it will surely come. Just as surely as Jesus came the first time, he said he will come again. And what will that day be like? We don't have the capacity to really understand what that day will be like. But verses 8 to 10 give us a great description. Isaiah 35, 8 to 10. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Amen. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall, be, they shall not be found there. Other passages tell us that the reason why that is is because lions aren't interested in eating people anymore. So there's no danger from any sort of animal. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You know the difference between singing because you have to and singing because you want to? You know the difference, right? Singing because you have to can sometimes feel like a chore. Sometimes we come to church and we're a little bit grumpy, maybe distracted maybe sleepy, maybe we don't like this song, or maybe we don't like the way they sing this song. And so we, we sing because we have to, but our hearts aren't fully in it, right? But then there's times when you sing because you want to, and it's a wonderful and totally different experience. Let me just encourage you on this little note, this little sidebar, this isn't in my notes, but when Meredith sends out the bulletin on Saturday, Look up the songs, make a playlist of the songs in Spotify or on YouTube or whatever, 
and start listening to them and get your heart ready. So that when you come, you're ready to sing and you want to sing. Because you've been listening to songs, you're like, I can't wait to sing this together with my family. And so that's just a little encouragement. But singing, singing because we want to, singing because we're overflowing with joy and we can't wait for the day. And everlasting joy. I don't know what everlasting joy means. I don't think it just means we never stop laughing. But I do think it means that sorrow and sighing flee away. And that day will be glorious. It'll be better than we can ever imagine. This is what God has in store for his people. Freedom, security, and everlasting joy. And to get there, he has to rid the world of all evil. So on that day, on that day, it is my prayer for every one of you that you will be looking for Jesus to come to your rescue and you will sing with joy and you will enter into this glorious rest and freedom. You won't be one who's denying him, who's hiding from him, who's running from him, who's, who's not wanting him to come. So trust him for it and look forward to it. We have an opportunity now to look forward to that day as we take the Lord's Supper. It is both a remembrance of what he did the first time he came to save us and an anticipation of what he will do when he comes again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son to rescue us from sin and death. Thank you for the promise that he's coming again to rescue us from a world of evil and from our own frail bodies and our own weaknesses and sins. Thank you for Jesus, the perfect savior and coming king. Please bless us as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. May we do so by faith to your glory and to our deep and everlasting good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.